0: Well, this morning we're going to uh, continue in a series that we began last week that we're calling Stand. And uh, in this series, we're just looking at, at the life of a guy by the name of Daniel, and how we can stand out, how we can stand. So we want to stand up, talking about last week, we began by talking about how, as followers of Jesus, uh, there are times where we just need we just ought to stand out. Uh, rather than always blending in. There are times where we just need to, to stand out. It ought to look different than everybody else. Our lives just ought to look different. We ought to stand out. And uh, by the way, if you missed last week, Drew mentioned this in the announcements, but uh, you can catch up on any of those past messages by uh, either on the the Connecting Point app on your smart device, or you can go to the uh, website at connectingpoint.church, and you can watch them there. You can catch up. All of the sermons are archived there, so we encourage you to do that. Uh, But this morning, what I want to talk to you about is how do we as followers of Jesus, how do we stand up? How do we stand up at the right time and in the right way? And, and we're standing up, uh, when we talk about standing up, I'm talking about standing up in order to help someone who's gotten off track a little bit. How, how can we, as followers of, Christ, uh, followers of Christ, in the church, follow? we're a family, so there's this level, in any healthy family, there's a level of accountability. And so how can we stand up at the right time in order to point somebody towards Jesus. Uh, you know, in those moments where the reality is that for all of us, we're probably going to, at some time in our life, witness somebody that we love making unwise decisions, and God is going to call upon us to stand up in order to help guide them back onto the right path. Now, before we get too far into this this morning, I need to make a confession to you. And, and, and this, is, uh, this is just the reality of kind of where I live, but um, this is probably one of the more difficult subjects that I ever talk about. In fact, I, I just don't do it very often because it's quite honestly it's, it's kind of hard for me. And the reality is, is because um, by nature I'm just I'm not a very confrontational kind of person. Laura's looking at me like, oh yeah, I've been married to you for 20, no, I, I just am not, I, I, in fact, anybody who knows me knows that I, I really hate conflict, in fact, um, some of you are probably familiar with the strength finders assessment tool, um, my, my top three strengths, according to strength finders, are harmony, empathy, and connectedness, so yeah, laugh, yeah, so they're all relationship-driven, right? You're laughing because yours are the same probably, right? So yeah, th- they're all relationship-driven. Relationships are really important to me. And so as a result of that, I can have the tendency sometimes to, to avoid conflict because I'm afraid that it might jeopardize the relationship with somebody else. And so I, I'm, you know, I'm just one of those people that just kind of lives by, can't we all just get along? That's really important to me. Um, And and early on in ministry, I had a mentor who recognized this quality within me. And one day, I'll never forget, he pulled me aside and he gave me some advice. He he said to me, he said, Doug, there there are going to come some times in ministry where you are going to have to set aside your own personal level of comfort for the good of somebody else, for the good of the church. He he said, if you really love people... um, sometimes as a pastor, you're going to have to boldly enter into conflict and lovingly confront certain situations. And so over the years, um, I've tried to hold on to that wisdom that was lovingly given to me. And, and there have been times for the, for the good of those around me where I've had to force myself out of my own comfort zone And enter into some conflict for the good either of an individual or for the good of a family or for the good of the church as a whole. Now, um, I would guess this morning that there are some here, maybe some of you who are watching online, and you know exactly, you understand what I'm talking about, right? Because conflict, confrontation, that kind of stuff is hard for you as well. You have a similar personality as me. And then there are the rest of you. <laughs> um, and, and conflict, you know, it doesn't intimidate you at all. In, in fact, uh, just, just for fun this morning, can, can we get a show of hands? How many here would say that just by nature, you know, I'm just really kind of a, a non-confrontational, non-conflict kind of person? How many here this morning? Wow, a whole bunch of you. I wish you all could see what I see. Because, yeah, because when you raise your hands, a bunch of you raise your hands and your spouses looked at you like, what? <laughs> and I wish I would have known that all these years that we've been married, that you don't like conflict. But yeah, there, there are a bunch of you who just don't like conflict. Um, there, there's usually more that fall into that category that actually raise their hands. Uh, because there's a whole bunch of you that didn't raise your hand because you're like, man, I would raise my hand, but I don't want to create some kind of conflict. All right. This one scares me. How many of you would say, and I know those of you that will say this, your arms will just go up like this, but how many of you would say, it's not that I go looking for conflict. It's not that I enjoy it, but I'm certainly not afraid of it. If it comes, I'm just going to deal with it head on in a good, loving way. How many would lift your hands and say that? Yeah. All right. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. All the rest of you look at these people. These are the people that you need to be afraid of, you know? So now you know, right? Yeah, no. I'm just kidding. I I wish I had more of that in me because, like I said, conflict is is kind of difficult for me, and some of you understand that. But, But this is why this topic can be kind of difficult to talk about. It can be kind of challenging because when it comes to standing up, there tends to be two different ditches that we can fall into, two different extremes. Jim Cimbala uses the illustration when he talks about things that we, we have the tendency sometimes to be pendulum people, that we can swing to this extreme or we can swing to this extreme. And whenever we swing to an extreme, it can be harmful. And, and so there tends to be a couple of different extremes when it comes to this area of conflict. Extreme number one And if you're taking notes, this is in your notes. But extreme number one are those who are simply unwilling to confront. Those who just, just are unwilling to do it. And again, I'm somebody who I, I, I fight against that. There, there's a danger, though, for those of us who are unwilling to confront. There's a danger you know, for us when we try and rationalize things in our minds. We try and convince ourselves, you know, well, it's really not any of my business. And that's really between them and God. And I don't want to be judgmental. And, and, and there's a tendency that we may avoid confrontation that needs to take place. And the result of that extreme is we're really not any help to anybody. Now, the the opposite of that extreme are those who have absolutely no problem with confrontation. But the problem for them sometimes is they confront unlovingly. That sometimes I have no problem with it and I'm gonna enter into it because I know what's right, but the danger, the extreme is that we can confront unlovingly. And oftentimes that interaction, and we've, we've seen this, we've probably all experienced it in our lives, the result is that that interaction actually does more harm than it does good. That, that there are some who just kind of leave a trail of bodies in the wake. And so when it comes to conflict, when it comes to any kind of confrontation, it's very, very, very important that we learn to seek God for wisdom as to if and when and how we ought to stand up. And again, the reality is if we're followers of Jesus, there are going to come those times in our lives where God may call upon us to intervene in someone's life because you love them. You know, I, I hope it doesn't happen, but parents, there may come a time when your child's making some really bad decisions, and, and you're going to need wisdom to know when is the right time to step in, how not to push too hard and, and, and not push them away, but how to lovingly bring them back into the things of God. You're going to need wisdom to know how to do that, but it's going to take a confrontation. Or there may come times when somebody you love is making really poor financial decisions. And and, and you and you know that over time it's going to be devastating to them. And so God may call upon you to stand up and say, hey, there's a better way to manage your finances. I love you and I don't want to see you go down this path. You may have someone close to you who's, who's making some dangerous decisions that's going to cost them their spouse or their family. And because you love them and what, what's best for them, you're not judging, but, but, but you, you love them enough to, to want to help them make good decisions so that they don't experience the consequences of those bad decisions. And boy, I hope this never happens. But, but there may come a time in your life where you've got a friend who's got two cats and they're thinking about buying a third. <laughs> and it's like, nobody needs three cats. And, and so for the glory of God, you're going to have to stand up and step in. And so, you know, this is important stuff that we're talking about this morning. Well, that's where we're headed, not the cat part. Uh by the way, I don't know how it happened, but after the, the, the rummage sale, Pastor Dustin wound up with this beautiful portrait of cats in his office that is just gorgeous that stands over. I've, I heard that Chloe Alger was responsible for decorating Pastor Dustin's office, but anyway... Um, Just to kind of help us with our conversation this morning, again, we're we're going to jump back into Daniel. Daniel is a book in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at chapter 4 this morning. This is where we're going to be. So uh, if you remember last week, I introduced you to a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar was a very evil king who was responsible for invading Israel. Um, He totally destroyed the holy uh, city of Jerusalem. In fact, he not only destroyed Jerusalem, but he tore down the temple of God. He destroyed all of the holy artifacts within uh, the temple. And then to top it all off, King Nebuchadnezzar commanded that all of the brightest, all of the best young men of Israel be kidnapped and taken back to Babylon. Babylon. And his goal was he totally wanted to destroy Israel's future. He wanted to indoctrinate these young men. He wanted to get God out of them, get Babylon into them. And he wanted to make them the future leaders, not of Israel, but the future leaders of of Babylon. And and here is what's really interesting. If you know this story, if you read the story, and I encourage you, we're not going to go through the whole thing today, but I encourage you to read it. Here's what's really interesting about King Nebuchadnezzar. Even though it's very clear he was an evil king, uh, when you read through the book of Daniel, you'll see that God still pursued King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he was evil. God still pursued him over and over and over again as you read through this story you'll find that Nebuchadnezzar would have these experiences that would kind of soften his heart it would draw his attention towards God he began to lean into God a little bit and then all of a sudden his pride would kick in something would happen and boom he's right back to where he was before. And so God God still pursued King Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar would always pull back and forget about God. It's unfortunate, but I see that same pattern repeated today over and over and over again in people's lives. I I, I see people who, uh, you know, maybe they experience God in some way, and so they start leaning into him a little bit. And then something will happen in their lives, and boom, they're right back to where they were before. God has absolutely no part in their life. They're they're back to doing their own thing. Well, this is what's taking place with King Nebuchadnezzar. And and so in chapter 4, we're told that one night, uh, in God's pursuit of King Nebuchadnezzar, God gives Nebuchadnezzar this crazy, crazy dream. And this dream, it so freaks Nebuchadnezzar out that he can't sleep, and so he's he's really bothered by this dream that he's been given. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls for his magicians, he calls for his interpreters, he calls for his wise men, and he says to them, he says, I want you to tell me, what does this dream mean? Well, in some versions of the Bible, it says that the interpreters could not interpret the dream. I believe the NIV says that they could not interpret it. However, there are other versions of the Bible that say that they would not interpret the dream. Some say they could not. Other versions say they would not. And and this is just what I think. Um, This is just my opinion. But but I believe that the interpreters would not interpret the dream. Because when you read the dream, I mean, it's pretty easy to interpret what's going on here. And so I, I believe that they would not interpret the dream. And the reason I believe that is because the dream is really bad news for King Nebuchadnezzar. And in this day and age, in this time, it was not uncommon if somebody were to bring the king bad news, he didn't want to hear the bad news, so what would he do? He'd put him to death, yeah. Yeah. And so, so I believe that they would not because they were afraid, you know, I, I, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar called them in, these guys were like, um, wow, King, that's a really tough one. Maybe you ought to call somebody who's like not us to tell you what the news is. And so this is what Nebuchadnezzar does. This is how Daniel comes into the picture. Daniel had, had begun to build a reputation for himself. When we first uh, talked about Daniel last week, we talked about how he was probably somewhere around 14 or 15 years old when he was taken into captivity. Well, many years has passed. Now, he's about 45 or 50 years old. Still a really super, super, super young guy. But he's, he's 45 or 50... <laughs> Man, I was looking for some, port, for some support from some of you older guys, but my goodness. All right, so anyway, he's about 45 or 50 years of age, and he has developed over the years this reputation of having wisdom. He's been able to interpret dreams for the king in the past. And, and so the king and Daniel know each other. The relationship is pretty solid. And so the king calls for Daniel, and, and the king begins to describe his dream to Daniel. I want to just read it for you. It's in Daniel chapter 4. I'll just begin reading with verse 10. Nebuchadnezzar says this. He says, this is my dream. I, I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The, the tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it lived the beasts of the field. They, they found shelter, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From, every, from it, every creature was fed. In these visions, these dreams, I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field." Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and have him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass him. All right, so this is the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has and is bothering him. Now, for all of us non-conflict people... We probably would have been tempted to do like all of the other interpreters. Wow, king, that, you know, that's a doozy of a dream, I'm, but I'm not really sure what it means, you know, because I don't want to enter in to making the king upset. But but Daniel, he doesn't do that. Now, we don't know if he's a guy who didn't mind conflict. We don't know if he, he, he was afraid of it. But what we do know is that he lovingly stands up to the king, and he tries to help the king by pointing him in the right direction. What Daniel does is he boldly but lovingly explains what this dream means. So Daniel says, he says, My Lord, if only this dream would have applied to your enemies but he says, your majesty, you are that tree. He says, you become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant part of the earth. Then he says, here's what this dream means. Let me tell you what it means. Daniel says, you're going to be driven away from people. And what's going to happen to you, king, is you're going to live with the wild animals. You're going to eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. In other words, what Daniel is saying to him is, king, I hate to break it down to you like this, but you're going to be down on all fours like a wild animal and you are going to live like a crazy man. Not like a king, you're going to live like a crazy man. And then Daniel says, seven times will pass, which means seven years. Seven years will go by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth and, give, and gives to anyone as he wishes. In other words, Daniel says, King, I hate to tell you this, but because of your refusal to acknowledge God, you are going to go absolutely crazy. You're going to lose your mind. There's going to be effects that take place in you physically, emotionally, mentally, because you are running so hard away from the hand of God. And and this is going to last for seven years. For seven years, you're going to be out of your mind. But then Daniel says this. He says, but king, not everything in this dream is bad news. Because the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots, it means that your kingdom will be restored, but only when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Now, this is what I love about this story. What I love about this story is that Daniel could have stopped right there because he has fulfilled the request of the the king. He has interpreted the dream, but Daniel doesn't stop there. If you notice, if we read on, Daniel has the courage to do something that literally risks his life. He stands up to the king, not because he's arrogant, and not because he just wants to correct the king because he knows the king is wrong, but, but, but he stands up to the king because he knows that there is something better for the king. That if the king would just take his his advice, the king's life would be better. And so he stands up to the king because he loves the king and he wants the king to know the goodness of God. In verse 27, Daniel says this. He says, oh king, would you please accept my advice? In other words, king, listen, I want you to know that I care for you. I want what's best for you. And so this is what Daniel says. He tells the king, he says, stop sinning, and do what is right. Daniel knows that if the king is ever going to experience the best of God, then he's going to have to stop sinning, stop doing what God does not want him to do, and to live a life that is pleasing to God. That's how the king is going to have a good life. I love in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the, the apostle Paul gives the church, he gives us some instruction that pretty much mirrors what Daniel is doing. Listen, listen to what the apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter six, verse one. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should do what? Say those next two words out loud. Gently and humbly, yeah. You who are godly should gently and And humbly, in other words, not arrogantly, not harshly, but Paul says, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Then Paul says something very interesting. He says, and and when you're doing this, when you're gently and humbly helping somebody on the right path, Paul says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Listen, When when, when God calls us to stand up, when when God calls us to to, to lovingly speak his truth into a situation, we need to be very, very careful that we're doing it very carefully and very prayerfully. We need to make sure that we're seeking God first. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you two very simple prayers that are applicable to any kind of spiritual confrontation. The The first prayer is this. When God is calling us to confront somebody in a loving way to help them get back on the right path, our first prayer should be this. God, help me to lovingly confront with the goal being restoration. God, God, help me to confront with the goal always before me, always in my mind that the goal is always restoration. In other words, God, help me to use and to choose words that that are not words that are going to tear somebody down, that are not words that are going to destroy somebody, but help me to choose words that are going to build people up, that are going to help restore people. We we always want to confront with the goal of restoration. In other words, we really need to remember this. It's not about, I'm right and you're wrong. (laughs) It's not about, hey, we're right, we got this thing figured out, and you don't, and you're blowing it. The goal is always restoration. The only reason that God would ever call us to confront would be to help somebody get closer to God. That would be the only reason. And so we don't confront because I'm right and you're wrong and I'm here to correct you. We confront to help somebody, as Paul says, get back on the path with God. That's that's the only reason we ever confront. And this is why Paul says that we should do it gently and humbly. That's how we help people onto the right path. In other words, approach really does matter. It it doesn't matter how right we are. What matters is that we're right and we approach it right. I I know I told this story before, but this past week as I was preparing for this morning, I I just couldn't help but think about... uh, my my friend bud <laughs> i i've known bud since i was I think middle school probably, but um, Bud was a guy, we, I grew up in Kearney and, and Bud was actually one of the volunteers in our youth group and and, and I, I always loved sports. I played football in high school and college and I've always played basketball and baseball and all of those things and, and Bud knew that I loved sports and he loved sports and so um, we used to hang out once in a while. He'd invite me over to his house and we'd lift weights and we played a lot of basketball together and he would take me pheasant hunting and he, just, he really spent a lot of time Time investing in my life. After I had graduated from high school, I went through a series of events that I won't get into this morning, but I became really angry with God and I ran away from God and I just, I got really lost for a while. And, and because, of, because of these hurts that I had experienced, I, I allowed those, again, to just kind of affect my relationship with God. And, and as a result of my running from God, man, I was running 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. And, and during this period of time, I was living pretty hard. I was living pretty fast. And, and my, my life, you know, at that time, it just, it just pretty much revolved around the next party. But I, but I still, I loved to play basketball, and and Bud and I played on this city league team together, and and uh, we were we were playing one night in this game, and and I came down on the side of somebody's foot, and my ankle, uh, I was sure that I broke it. Everybody heard this really loud pop, and so I wound up being taken to the emergency room, and after after uh, the game, Bud stopped into the hospital to see me to check on me, and and when they finally released me, he he offered to give me a ride home, which I took him up on. And I'll never forget, we were riding in Bud's truck. And I could tell he wanted to talk to me about something. And, you know, you, you, you can tell when somebody wants to say something and they're, they're having trouble saying it. And all of a sudden, Bud said, hey, man, the reason I wanted to give you a ride home is because I really have felt for a while that God wanted me to talk to you. And he said, you know I love you, right? And you know that, that you're somebody that I, I just care deeply for. But I, I sense that you're drifting. <laughs> and I don't know all the things that are going on in your life, but I just had this sense that you're drifting away from God. And, and, and I want you to know that I love you. And I don't know what you're doing, but I know this, that the only way you're ever going to be happy is when you're fully pursuing Jesus. And so listen, I love you, and I'm praying for you. And if there's anything that you ever need, I want you to know that you call me first, because I'm always going to be here for you. Man, we got to my house, and it was, it was a, just honestly, it was kind of an awkward conversation. And, and I was embarrassed, and he was probably a little embarrassed. But can I tell you that when I got out of that truck, the one thing that I knew for sure is that there was one guy on this planet that loved me enough to talk to me. There were probably a whole bunch of other people that saw the direction that my life was going, but Bud was somebody who was willing to engage me because he loved me so much. And the reality is because of the investment that he had put into my life, because of all the time that we had spent together, because of all of the ways that he had shown that he had cared for me, he had earned the right to have that kind of a conversation with me. And even though it was uncomfortable, there was no way that he could have it without me knowing that guy really loves me. And and I want to tell you, sometimes, sometimes we need the, the gentle, loving, humble confrontation that comes from a brother or sister in Christ to help us get back on the right track. Listen, the second prayer, if you're taking notes, is this. The second prayer is this, God, help me to confront with caution. Man, I'm not going to enter into this. I'm not going to enter into this just half-heartedly. I'm not going to enter into this unwisely. God, help me. If you're calling me to this, if you're laying this on my heart, God, help me to confront with caution. I think it's, it's really interesting that the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to put this in. He says, gently and humbly help them on the right path. And then he goes on to say, you who are godly should do this. Do that, but be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. In other words, enter into this thing with caution. Here's the reason why. The reason that we need to be very prayerful and very careful when confronting other people is because there's always the danger for us that we become vulnerable to pride. We need to guard our own hearts that so we don't become vulnerable to pride. We don't ever want to fall into the trap of thinking, well, look how spiritual I am. Man, I, I, look, look how I've got it together, especially compared to this person. They ought to be very lucky that God has put me in their lives. We want to make sure that we do not fall into this place of pride. We never want to embrace a prideful, sinful attitude. So we have to be very careful. This is why Paul says... If God calls you to this, then you better do it gently and humbly. Listen. if I ever bring correction to you, that does not mean that I am higher than you. If you ever bring correction to me, that does not mean that you are higher to me than me. What we have to understand is the reality is that every single one of us is lower than God, right? Every single one of us is lower than God. And when we realize that we're lower than God, and we're trying to, what we're trying to do is we're trying to lift each other up so that we can be closer to God. We can have a deeper relationship with God. We're trying to live this life the way that God wanted us to live. And when we understand that, that all of us are lower than God and we're just trying to lift each other up, that's when we can do it in the right way for the right reason and then hopefully see the right results. You see, this is why I mentioned that I, I struggle somewhat with this message is because the last thing that I want is a church full of people who are against each other. I mean, that's, that's, the, the, that's the worst thing with all of my heart. One of the things that I hate about this culture that we live in, especially in the Christian culture, is where Christians have become more known for what we're against than what we're for. I, I, I hate that about us. We don't want to be known what we're, for what we're against. We, we, we want to be known for what we're for, and what we're for is we are for the kingdom of God, and we're for each other. We're for seeing people live lives that God created them to live so that they can be the happiest that they could ever be. We're for lifting people up. We're not for tearing people down. We're for each other. We're for the kingdom of God. And we ought to be for, what we ought to be for more than anything else is seeing people get closer to God. Because when we get closer to God, our lives are more full. And we're for people. And so the last thing I want you to hear this morning is this you know, well, Pastor Doug said I need to find three people to confront before sundown, and so I better get after it. No, that's not what this is about. We're not not going out looking to correct other people. However, we we have to understand that as as part of a family, and we're we're part of a family, we're, we're part of a family, and in any healthy family, there exists a level of accountability. That the life that I live is not just you and me, Jesus, and nobody else matters. We, we were built for community. And we are part of a family. And in, in any healthy family, there exists a level of accountability. And so we need to be open that if God wants to use us to help each other to stay on a path that continues to lead us closer to the heart of God, that's what we need to be about. People who love each other and are continually helping each other, not hurting each other, people who are continually helping each other get closer to God. And as we read this story, this is what Daniel does. He says, oh, king, king, man, man, I love you, and I wish this didn't apply to you. I wish it was for your enemies, but, but it does apply to you, and you need to know what it means. Daniel says this. He says, please accept my advice. Stop setting. Stop doing what you're doing and do what is right. Because if you do that, you will prosper and God will bless you. The, the, the sad part of this story is when you see what King Nebuchadnezzar actually does, you know. It, it would be great if King Nebuchadnezzar said, oh wow, man, I didn't know. And so would you pray for me and then let's hold hands and see how great is our God? You know? He, he doesn't do that. Instead, King Nebuchadnezzar ignores Daniel and he continues to rebel against God. And, and the story goes on that just as was predicted in the dream, seven years go by. For King Nebuchadnezzar, seven crazy, crazy years. Nebuchadnezzar, for seven years, he lives not like a king, but like an animal on all fours, eating the grass. I, I, I wish this weren't true but the reality is there are times, even when we obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, there are times when we, we stand up lovingly. We're not, we're not arrogant. We're not harsh. But unfortunately, there are, there are times when people just aren't going to listen to what God has to say regardless of who says it. And so here's what I hope you hear this morning, is we are not responsible for anybody else's response. But what we are responsible for is being obedient to whatever it is that God asks us to do. We're not responsible for how people respond, but we are responsible to being obedient to whatever it is that God wants us to do. We're responsible to do it right, and then we trust God with the results. And then we continue to pray, 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 pray. This this is what Daniel did, and and it took seven years. But but as the story goes on, by the grace of God, seven years later in verse 34, this this is the words of Nebuchadnezzar himself. He says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My sanity was restored. And then what did he do? He said, I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Listen, there are times in our lives where we need to stand up and stand in the gap for people that we love. And we need to do it for as long as it takes. I, I, I remember when I used to pray for people, I used to pray ASAP prayers, you know. God, would you just do this as soon as possible? God, I'm asking you to intervene in this person's life and would you just answer as soon as possible? And when God didn't answer immediately, I tended to think that God wasn't going to answer because he didn't answer at ASAP. He didn't respond as soon as possible. I've learned That rather than praying ASAP prayers, what I really need to pray are ALAIT prayers. As long as it takes. Not not as soon as possible, but I'm gonna keep praying as long as it takes. For Daniel, in his case, it took seven long years. But eventually, Nebuchadnezzar repented of his sins. He turned to God and God is glorified all because one man had enough courage, he had enough faith, he had enough enough love, he had enough perseverance to stand up and stand in for the king. Listen, the reality of following Jesus is that sometimes we're going to have to take risks sometimes following Jesus can get messy. And quite honestly, things can begin sometimes to look uglier and crazier before they ever look better. But here's what we need to remember. God never gets freaked out by our messes. God never gets freaked out by the things we get freaked out over. He never gets afraid uh, over the things that that cause us to be afraid. God never throws up his hands in the air and says, well, that situation's hopeless. We might do that, but God never does that. No, what does he do? God God just keeps on loving. He keeps pursuing. And and, and because he he does that because our foolish choices, they don't scare him away. He, He just uses the messes instead. He uses the messes that our choices make to keep pointing us back towards him. God, God's love really is kind of like what we sing about, you know? It's kind of a reckless kind of love. I, I love the lyrics to that song. In fact, I'm going to invite the band to come, and we're going we're to sing the song in just a moment. But I love the lyrics to that song. It talks about the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. You see, folks, the bottom line is this. First of all, that's the kind of love, if we know Jesus, that's the kind of love that each of us have experienced. Because the Bible is very clear, Scripture is very clear, that we've all gone our own way. We've all been rebellious in our own way. And it was that, it was that overwhelming, that overwhelming, always pursuing that reckless love of God that captured our hearts to begin with. And not only that, the second thing is this, it is, is that God wants us to show that same kind of love to other people. God wants us to be the expression of his love that is willing to kick down whatever walls get in the way, tear down any lies that get in the way, and to just allow people to see what an awesome God he is and how much he really loves we got to love the way that Jesus loves. And listen, love cares more about other people than our own level of comfort. And so if I love you, and I see the enemy sowing some seeds of lies in your life, or if I see you heading in a direction that maybe is not going to be best for you, if I really love you, I'm not going to stand back and watch you crash and burn. I'm going to do what Jesus did for me. You see, because of the reckless, ever-pursuing, ever-chasing love of God, he stood up, and his standing up, according to Scripture, caused him to be lifted up and placed on a tree as a demonstration of, this is how much I love you. I love you enough to sacrifice my own comfort so that I could see you have a relationship with the Father and I can see you become who you were created to be. What if, what if we just loved like that? What if we loved recklessly? What if we loved relentlessly? What if we loved in a way that would kick down the walls, tear down the lies? I don't know about you, but that's the way I want to live my life. I want to live my life knowing that there are people who encounter the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ because he used me to stand in the gap and to pray as long as it takes. And not just pray, but God, as I pray, how do you want to use me? God, don't don't, don't just speak to them. Speak to me too, and how could you speak? Them through me in a loving way, humbly and gently. Father, this morning, I don't know what everybody heard this morning. There may be somebody here this morning, and by your spirit, supernaturally, you've just kind of grabbed their heart and said, Hey, you're kind of heading the wrong direction here. And you're, you're drifting a little bit. And it's not going to turn out in a way that benefits you most. And, and I want you to know this morning that I'm continually pursuing you. I'm the kind of God who will leave the 99 to chase you down. And this morning I brought you here so that you could hear about my kind of love. The kind of love that causes other people sometimes to sacrifice their level of comfort in order to intersect your life. And I just, I just want a relationship with you. I want your life to be everything that everything that I created it to be. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to pray a prayer for you. And maybe there's somebody here this morning, and you've just really been concerned about decisions that your kids are making. You've been concerned about decisions that your spouse is making, decisions that a friend is making, and... You've been wondering, do I say something? Do I not say something? What do I do? I need to know if and when and how. And I wanna I wanna include you in this prayer too. Father, this morning, if there's anybody here, if there's anybody watching online, and by your spirit, you have just revealed to them, hey, you kind of been drifting a little bit. This morning, we're so thankful for your love that's full of grace and mercy that you're a forgiving God and and, and you just pull us right back on path. This morning, Father, I pray that first of all, that your forgiveness would come where forgiveness is needed. But secondly, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to just stand back up and to begin walking down the path just as we were before. Lord, we want to continue in a line that is just a, a continual pursuit of your heart that is directly towards your heart. So I just pray for that this morning. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here who has children or spouse or friend that, that, that just they're concerned about, Lord, I pray first of all that you would put in them a spirit of intercession to where that they would just spend time on their knees bringing the issue before you and then listening to your voice. I pray that nothing would ever be said until you say, say it. I pray, Father, that there'd be clarity. I pray that you'd help us to speak your truth in love gently and humbly knowing that all of us, all of us at times need to be corrected. We have a tendency to drift sometimes. And so Lord, would you help us to be the kind of people that love in that way? The kind of people who love like you with with an overwhelming, reckless kind of love, the kind of love that will just pursue pursue us and pursue us and pursue us and pursue us as long as it takes. We want to live that way. So we pray all this in the name of the one who gave us the example of what that looks like, the name of Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.